Sten Morgan here. I hope you're doing well. I want to announce that we are launching the How to Be an Elite Advisor course. We are combining all of our best teachings and ideas into a course that you can complete in less than a week. I want to share with you the best ideas that I implement within my practice that have helped me achieve more than I ever thought possible. I want to share how I have unique meetings with clients. What's the mindset of an elite advisor? How do you prospect in a way that'll separate you from other advisors? At the Elite Advisor Network, we reject average. I want to help you see what your full potential is and reach it faster. Set time aside this week to take the course. Click on the link or go visit gobeelite.com. I'll talk to you soon. Welcome to the podcast. Sten Morgan here with my buddy Andy. And today we are going to just rapid fire some Q&A questions. Boom, 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 boom. Mm. Good luck to me to write a headline for this. <laughs> nice. Lots of random questions, part one, something like that. It will change so, your life. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's But these are things you don't You got to draw about. them in with titles, man. I know. I'm wor- My titles are pretty good. Shout out to me. If you like my <laughs> titles, leave it, uh, leave it in the review on uh, iTunes or something. Uh, or email us. You can reach out to us at stenmorgan.com slash podcast, which is where we got all these mm. questions from. People right. went to stenmorgan.com uh, slash podcast, and um, they left these questions for us. And yeah. so we're going we're gonna to tackle them. And Andy's competing against chat GPT for the title job. So I am. We'll see how that goes. <sighs> okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, I was just using chat GPT, like literally in the last You've embraced minutes. it. I'm proud of you. I have. I'm going to continue to brace it, or it will take over my brain and life <laughs> in this planet. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm going to do a sort of a summary uh, of it, but this is from uh, listener Luke. Luke, thanks for for writing in. But he he was talking about how he was asking us how often he, that you do stand you do meetings by Zoom or by phone, um, and and how do you handle the whiteboarding experience through basically online versus in person? Because he knows how big your whiteboard is. It's mm-hmm. like uh, six by four, I think, in the conference room. Uh, it's, up it's up there, and essentially, he's 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 trying to give context to like, hey, I'm in a cold market, and I'm trying to not drive yep. two hours. So, my question to summarize that is, when do you have to just get in the car and drive? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, thinking about the stages of an advisor, mm-hmm. right? Rookie, maybe yep. you need to. So, when do you when do you need to just get in the car and drive? Because that's what you you have to do. Yep. And then later, as you get more established in your career. Have you found that the online meetings can be as effective, especially when it comes to whiteboarding, which is really what you're known for? Mm-hmm. I think it's all relative. If you're competing against other advisors and that advisor's in person and you're on Zoom, mm. you're probably at a disadvantage. I think human connection on the fly, the feeling in the room, yeah. like I prefer to be in the room with clients if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a very a, a gr- rapidly growing book of business that's Clients I haven't seen in person, Zoom, just based on reputation and, and referral. But we also have advisors in our community that have almost 100% remote practice. Yeah. Some of those do travel eventually if the case gets big enough. But you can make connection with somebody. I've done it over a phone call. I've gotten somebody to say, sounds good, let's go. Yeah. Uh, with zero whiteboard. I do think you have to, and, and for Luke, if, if this is your practice, meaning I'm not relocating closer to the clientele, I want to stay where I am, and it's going to be remote then you need to become so dangerous on Zoom. Like you have to not even question like, is it possible? It's like, no, I'm going to make it possible. Yeah. And there will be some opportunities that if you're in kind of the hustle phase of your business, I mean, I drove a lot because I just didn't have more opportunities. What did I was you like, have? I'm trying to remember what you had. Was it Nissan or what was that? Was it Camry? Uh, oh, the Altima, bro. Altima, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Man, I think it was sorry. great. Both Altima Altimas I owned, Camry? people hit me and totaled it. So I didn't even get rid of them by choice. Someone oh, They were taken from sorry. me. 
Um, Moment of silence for the that's right. <laughs> Rip. But I do think you can do it over Zoom. We're seeing it being being done. Mm-hmm. But if you have an opportunity, and this has happened to me, and I'm like, man, they're two hours away. Two hours is not that far. And it is, I've warmed them up. We had an intro call. I've vetted as best I can. Yeah. You knowing your business and saying, if I can increase the opportunity of closing this by 20%, 25%, like is yeah. it worth four hours of drive time? I would say don't drive four hours to meet somebody about a term policy. Figure out a way to close those remotely. Yeah. But if this is a $2,000 a month consulting client that probably has AUM and large insurance opportunity, yeah. then you have to make a business decision. Pack there. your bags. That's yeah. right. You work yeah. <laughs> nuanced question. I've had a few situations in my life where I've had to be like, yeah, I'll be in the area. If you're on YouTube, you're seeing a software update. You're request. about to see Andy's oh. password typed up. <laughs> Say it out loud as you type it. Keep that real. baby. Sorry. All right, so so here's the nuanced question. How do you say to someone, I mean, do you just say, yeah, I'll drive two hours to come see you? I mean, does it is it does it look or feel to them like that's just great service that you're like, yeah, I'll come down to Huntsville? I think it depends on the opportunity. You know, if I have a business owner that's worth $50 million with a yeah. lot of complexity, there's a point where they almost expect in-person so meetings. So for you to go, yeah, I'll come down and see you. And they're like, okay. You yeah, there, like, I mean, there's advisors that... Maybe they're doing it less now, but they would fly across the country to be with yeah. clients. Like yeah. it was not unusual for them it's to do it. that. It's worth it. It's and worth certain it. clientele probably expects that you can accomplish a lot in a room. Yeah. Maybe there's even a point where you travel and you go to lunch with them before or after. Like you yeah. make it more of an experience and worth mm-hmm. the drive. But but to Luke's question, I would say definitely possible, but make sure you own it. If you're kind of just tiptoeing around Zoom, kind of wondering if this is yeah. going to be effective, but you're doing you're using Zoom the same way everybody else is that has maybe a majority in person practice. You need to feel like you're on the leading edge. Yeah. Like you were so confident in that experience uh, that you're not having questions like this because your close rate is so high. And you'll get momentum as you do it. Now, most of my review meetings are Zoom, but they've worked with me for five to 10 years. Yeah. Great rapport. Zoom is super effective and they love it. But on the closing side, if I can still get somebody in my conference room, I probably close them in 20 minutes versus two calls. Right. I would also say that, you know, again, the elite versus average is how can you be, and, and, and Stan alluded to this, but how can you be elite on Zoom? What does it look like to practice, to have everything queued up, ready to go? You're really good with the tools that are Zoom. You're, you've got things, so you're not fumbling around at all. And say, right. well, let me, that reminds me, uh, let me draw this up for you. And you're just ready to rock and roll. Because if that client, if that advisor is Zoom, primarily, and that client is also interacting with other Zoom advisors, how are you sticking out? Yeah, yeah. Because it is all relative. And so if this person's like, I don't want to leave my house, the only advisors I'm going to work with are remote, then, you know, then maybe you have, you know, equalized playing field and it's, everything's in your control to make it that much better. Yeah. One last tip. If you are going to be driving, use that. Not as, oh man, I have to drive, but like, I I wish I drove more. Mm-hmm. I love driving because yeah. it's time where I can, you know, listen and learn and mm-hmm. have time to reflect and think. So, that's another, like, I would encourage you, mental shift. I didn't read your whole question but uh, to the to the audience, but part of this is like, oh, I have to drive. I, awesome. Yeah. That's, I used to, obviously, time. podcasts are, are, are good use of podcasts that Podcasts are okay. I mean. But I used to have my team put together my client list. Yeah. And they just put a string of calls together for me. Oh, nice. And so I could knock out a bunch of just check-in calls from yeah. maybe by A-tier clients yeah. while on the road. Love it. Love it. All right, so this is a this is a this is the shortest question we have, but I think one of the it's most meaty. fascinating. It's yep. super meaty uh, slash touchy. 
So don't offend more than half the audience, okay? <laughs> this is from Jeff. He said, uh, Jeff's email is, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, Jeff said, how can we shift the mindset of experienced advisors who have trouble converting their old clients to fee-based clients? So the question fundamentally is, can you shift mm-hmm. older advisors' mindsets? And then second, should you try to convert non-planning clients to planning clients existing? I think there's a couple ways to go about if this. You just answer that next thirty seconds. Done. <laughs> the you can do kind of a carte blanche, and I've met advisors like this. They're pretty unashamed when they make a change to their business. They're like, "I'm not really fearful of losing clients. This is what's best for me and my practice long term." Hey, yeah. here's a letter. I'm going to call some people. This is my model. Okay. You start paying me a monthly fee for my advice, and this yeah. is it. If you're not in, out, go. I remember some doctors did that where they said, "No longer taking insurance. You either pay me yep. directly, or you're no longer." And they did the math and they're like, it's worth it. Yeah, I could lose a third and still be better off. So that's one option. I didn't take that route. Mine was I looked at my book of business and I said, okay, what clients have other needs Mm. that I can re-engage with, have a new strategy meeting with and position us, hey, this is how you've been working with us in the past, but I want you to know about this also. And the way I think to position that, and again, in talking with hundreds of advisors over the last, you know, several years, it's like you have to be able to offer them a Say, so, hey, you know, our companies continue to evolve and change, and mm-hmm. this is something new that we're offering. Yep. And you, they, because otherwise, they're like, why am I paying you? To yeah, do you're going to get the same thing. Right. I just wasn't charging you for it, but now I am. Right. That doesn't and I, I like to equate it as it's a, as if you go through the drive through and they say, that'll be 894 and you get to the window and they're like, that'll be 1282 <laughs> And you're like, what just happened? And they're like, <laughs> we just decided to change the price. Well, well, that's fine, but what do I get different? Oh, nothing. Yeah, the same know? thing. And so, I think if you can create a differentiator and say, hey, we're offering this and you can be clear about the deliverable, mm-hmm. then I think it's very reasonable to go back to um, existing. Now, talk about the other part is, can you shift older advisors' mindsets? And I'm just going to delete the word older yeah. and advisors. And can you shift anyone's mindset? Yes. And the good news is we've had enough experience. We've met advisors 30 years in the business that are seeing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to the ones that have come to our events and seen the light, to them, it's like, this is a no-brainer because they have so much rapport with the people, such a big network. They're like, wait, all I have to do is just start charging for the value. Yeah, I will I say this, for free. the most difficult uh, like revelation of it is that they've said, oh my gosh, I've been giving away so much expertise for so long. That's like right. there is a, a tinge of like, oh man. Yeah. But they're like, but no more. Yep. But no more. So yes, they can. I, I would... I would submit, I don't know where this person's at within the company that they're asking this question, but mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there are, there again, talking to multiple, this is a conversation I have multiple times a week with advisors in EAN or, or looking at being part of EAN or just reaching out to us for coaching is, they'll say, hey, I, I work with someone and they're like four years away from being out the door mm-hmm. and they're not interested in any of this stuff. And yeah. I would say, okay, then don't don't try to convert them. That's you right. just do your thing mm-hmm. and then go get after it. You know? And there's two steps to this. One, what we teach is, is our value first prospecting, which even if you can't charge for advice, you need to position yourself this way. Like you need to come across in your meetings as this type of advisor, Yeah, a, a strategy focused, creative, forward looking, the language we teach advisors to use, like that should be who you become tomorrow. Charging for it is, is the next conversation. Are you able to, uh, how much can you charge? All that stuff we can get to, but I feel like advisors are, are sticking to the old way of interacting with clients because they can't charge yet. And we coach our advisors to say, become this advisor first because you'll close more, you'll attract more referrals, like it'll help you in a lot of ways. And then someday you'll be able to flick the switch and create new revenue. Love it. Next question from Daniel. Um, 
he wants to go into wealth management to start working at a bank, I believe. Uh, and he really is, a, uh, he finds our model of charging for advice appealing, agrees it's the way of the future. Uh, but when he says uh, that he has, he's at a crossroads and he's trying to decide if he wants to start his own advising business. Um, but he also likes the idea of working at a firm. Um, and so the question is, how do you decide between wanting to charge for your advice and working at a company uh, that doesn't allow you the control that you want when charging for advice? I think kind of running off the last question of become this advisor no matter where you are, mm. meaning in the safety of a firm, maybe you're getting a base salary and some other perks, become this person. Uh, start building this practice and so that if you ever do decide to leave because this firm doesn't catch up because this is coming like there will always be a firm that's like hey we're going to do it the way that was done 20 years ago and as an advisor that wants to be dynamic that's what's caused me to bounce around earlier in my career was i was like hey guys let's do this and eventually nobody was doing it so i said i had to leave right is that you can become this advisor in the safety of where you are now with in mind of like what's my future practice going to look like right because then you leave or they adopt planning and you just turn it on yeah, I would. I love that sin, and I think the heart of it is become who you want to be now. Like, don't like. There's a comma in there somewhere, but like, become who you want to be, but do it now. Don't yep. go. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna become this kind of advisor when. Yep. When dot 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 when like skip the when. Just become the kind of advisor that you want to become, and start talking it because we have advisors that work with us, coached by us who are not yet, they're very soon, they're on the path, but they're not yet charging for advice, but they win business mm-hmm. because they approach clients differently and clients notice the difference. Yep. Think of the fee as like the lagging indicator that you are becoming an elite advisor, mm-hmm. meaning Love there's that. so much more to what we teach and do than like, hey, they paid me. Well, yeah, why did they pay you? Because the way you initially yeah. explained what you do, the first or second strategy meeting you had, the way you presented your ideas, like it is a different type of experience an advisor and oh, by the way, at the end of it, we're going to teach you how for them to pay you while smiling about it. Yeah. But but I think advisors, it's it's hard for us. And this is where I was stuck. Like the fee is the first thing. Like I'm scared about the fee. I'm scared. How can I try? Like I get caught up in those details versus like I'm just going to go out and add a lot of value. Yeah. And that will come. Yeah. I was thinking there was just recently a story about the Lamborghini dealership. There's one over by the airport. Have you seen it on the way to the airport? It's on the right side there. No. Um, doing just, some test driving. Uh, but it was fascinating because they're talking about how they're growing in Nashville. And I just think there's a certain kind of client and just thought process and Lamborghini obviously is, you know, way on the edge of luxury, but I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, whether it's Lamborghini or Lexus or whatever it might be, but there's certain uh, kind of consumer that they're way more concerned with the value than they are the the price, right? They don't, they don't look at that. And I think what's fascinating is how many different advisors don't think like their ideal consumer. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about, but what if, but what if, and I'm like, has anyone asked that question or is that just an internal Oh, yeah. Thing you're putting in your way. And they're yeah. like, oh, dang it. Most of that. And we know that because we've had advisors come in that never charged, were scared of charging, and then started charging. And they're doing great. We've had advisors say, I can only charge 1500 Now they're charging six. Like, And what's amazing is we're in that. And what we're realizing is we're teaching them new skills. And the primary result of those new skills is convincing themselves they're worth it. Right. Because yeah. I, I was like, it's, it's the product. We are a sales force. Like That is all a financial advisor is, is we understand products and get people to, to buy them. Like, that, that's whole different group and if you want to be part of that group great but if you want to be a professional that communicates ideas that focuses on how they uh, illustrate ideas so mm-hmm. that it compels people to take action like that is i would argue like a different industry that's growing love that love that phrasing it's, it's almost a different different industry i like that 
this is a great question. Uh, my business is growing exponentially, but my company can't decide if they want to pay for an admin for me or not. What should I do? This person is a W-2 employee, mm-hmm. and their business is going great, and they've asked for more administrative help. And, th- and, and based on their question, they are doing paperwork. I mean, they are doing tasks that yep. they go, hey, yep. I, I am really tired of doing these. Yep. Uh, all of these, all this paperwork, and so I, it's an interesting question, not knowing exactly how much they're making, mm-hmm. right, and how much an admin will cost. Yep. But I think it also ties back to one of our earlier questions: is become the kind of advisor you want to be mm-hmm. now. Yep. Right. So nuanced question, but they're they're balking on uh, hiring or paying for an admin for them. What thoughts do you have for them? If I try to put myself in the leadership's role, um, yeah, I was thinking about that too. There's there. I, w- I would probably believe there's a reason I'm not like, I haven't been so compelled that, that yeah. it's like, wow, if anything, I, I can't have this person doing any activity because they're so productive for us. They make us so much money that what, you know, here's the red carpet and there's yeah. firms where it's like your salesperson. They're just like, whatever you want, whenever you want. And that's yeah. the kind of power and influence they carry. And so I would look at it from that seat. If I was this advisor and say, okay, what have, what kind of case have I made for myself? Yeah. Or am I just, or is the perception by them that they're just going to free up more time for me to be semi-productive? Yeah, yeah, I love that angle of why are you, why are they, why are they balking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are just people that just aren't good leaders and they don't spend money to make money. Like that could be the case, but my guess is in their reality, there's something they're seeing that like it's not the best use of money yet. Yeah, and so I would tell this advisor like make the case. Yeah, and this would probably be almost a whiteboard session with the leader to say, hey, here's how much hours I spend about half of my time, and here's my productivity. Imagine if I picked up 40% of that time and applied it to this yeah. and almost put the numbers in front of them. I would quantify the value of this admin to the leadership. Yeah. And if it's like, hey, this admin will cost 60K, but just in year one, it'll pay for itself and make you an extra 60K. Yeah. If they're in the finance business and they say no to that, that's a problem. Yeah. You almost have your answer there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this person had asked, uh, uh, Monica, um, how should a newbie, newbie prospect, if they don't have COIs or idea partners, what should those initial contacts, uh, contacts look like? And again, I think that it's, this is, this is a very real world. And I appreciate that we have younger advisors who do listen to us. We have a lot of them mm-hmm. and they're just saying, we have some of them coming to our event here next week, um, of, Hey, I'm brand new. How can I begin to have a relationship with these idea partners? When and and again, it's it's almost always rooted, Stan. It's almost always rooted in this sort of like feeling or or posture of inadequacy. Like, what do I have to offer? Yeah, that's fair. So there, how, and in this question, we... they say COIs, and so when you say idea partners, we have to help people identify the difference. When yeah. I used to think of COIs, they were centers of influence of people that I would go to, and for some reason, they had an obligation to send me people. And then I realized, like, everyone's asking them. They have their own lives. Why do I think they're going to stop and think about me all the time to help grow my business? And so we look at centers of influence as idea partners, meaning you should be meeting with them, gathering ideas, because those ideas are going to be what you use to prospect. Mm -hmm. You will eventually probably get referrals from them. They may even become clients. But I would start saying as the foundation of any healthy advisor practice has a network of professionals that you routinely are in touch with that give you ideas. So I would say you just need to almost reframe the way you look at those people. Yeah, And then you need to use targeting strategies, which is uh, something we teach that once you have these ideas, you then take an idea. Uh, for example, one of the advisors, Chris, on our team in Tennessee, there's a value of filing a certain way for real estate agents if you make an income between a certain level. So he said, great, perfect idea. And then he just started calling on real estate agents. 
So yeah. as opposed to saying, hey, anybody out there need financial help, saying who's a specific group of people and what's a specific idea for them, yeah. that's a much more productive way to prospect than just kind of hoping it works out. And I, let me go a little deeper into that, which is that imagine you're in real estate, which means that you probably love real estate, and a financial advisor calls you. And financial advisors mostly love the market. They love insurance product. And, and they're like, it's, it, they're, those, those seem to be you know, opposing forces. Mm -hmm. But if someone calls you and says, hey, you, without changing who you are in your business, mm -hmm. I have an opportunity that could save you money. Yep. I'm listening. That's right. Right. They, or they, you call their brokerage and you say, hey, can I come and do a, a lunch for an hour and teach all your real estate agents about this tax idea or whatever it is? Right. All of a sudden now you have 15, 20 of them in a room. Like that is a much more creative, intentional way. And this is you know, what I did early on was call CPAs and attorneys and say, hey, good to meet you. Can I take you to lunch? Like we send me business. Like it was just noise to them because they were busy in life. Yeah. Do they pay? Did they ever pay for their own lunches? I feel like they could just constantly. Give I want to say like lunches. I have a feeling this could have just been a weird dream that there was an awkward lunch once where they almost wanted to because like by me buying, it was like an obligation. And so that, that one was like, oh, I don't think I ever talked to them again because they were like, <laughs> define or, the relationship. Or maybe they, maybe they send you bad clients too. They're like, this is. You don't want to be that one. Yeah. No. All right. So uh, hopefully that was helpful, Monica. Let us know how it goes. Next up, Aaron, uh, we just have a couple more. Uh, he says, uh, my company's never charged for advice. How do I introduce the idea to them uh, that will give me the best chance of them saying yes? So again, I, I, we've, again, we get, we get all these quiet, private conversations with advisors and they call and we talk to them and they're like, hey, how do I introduce this idea? Because I just feel like the old guard is not that interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, we actually had someone that uh, they were able to get uh, they, well, they went to their supervisor and said, listen, I'm going to go to this event, and if you pay for it, because they didn't have enough money at the time, I will pay you back twice as much from the fees that I collect, right? And again, Strong. that's a sort of like, Bold. hey, yeah. if it's worth it, it's worth it. Like, that's they right. literally have nothing to lose, yeah. right? So so they've never charged for advice. How do they influence their company? And I think they said they were a smaller company. Um, but how do they begin to have an influence, either a, a big or a small company? So if it's, in my experience, smaller groups, their fear is usually like compliance. Oh, wow. Or yeah. like, hey, we, we don't know how to do that well. Is it yeah. worth the risk? Yeah. And, and at times, that's where you need to bring in a third party. And we've done this with some advisors before where they say, hey, will you get on a call? So we consult them and their leadership to just say, hey, here's how it's being done. Yeah. Because what we know is we get called from some of the biggest companies in the country. And it's like, they're trying to figure it out. Yep. They're all doing it. So nobody's saying this isn't allowed. It's just a different model. And you have to say, okay, what are the forms we use? What is our process? Yeah. So there's a chance you have to say, hey, I have somebody that we can bring in to help us build this thing out and then show them the data. And we have a lot of data around it. Like, here's what this could result in. And so yeah, I think back to quantifying with clients, we have to approach leadership the same way and say, how are we making the totally. best case to show them this is the way? Yeah. So this is the way. Is I knew you were going to bring that. <laughs> you're like, oh, I said as soon, as soon as I Here. said it, this I knew you were going to hit that. <laughs> uh, you know you're, never mind, I'll move on. Sorry. Uh, Side track. Your fault, though. You can tell we have kids. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> kids. Oh, oh yeah, because kids watch it. Yeah, I watch it with my kids. Um, all right, so uh, <laughs> totally off track. What was I going to say? Oh, opportunity. Uh, so you were talking about how it's coming, an opportunity, that, and, and we'll refer to this for years until they update the number. But currently, this is from April of 23, this number. Okay, so this is like last month, month and a half ago, tops. They, they, J.D. Power did a, a, a survey. Only 11%, 11% of people who 
are working with a financial advisor are getting all of the things that a true mm-hmm. financial advisor who's giving their their you know getting paid for their advice only 11% of consumers said yeah i get that like i'm receiving <laughs> that level of service which is a plan they understand my goals i this is a big one i understand their fees of my financial advisor oh, like yeah. only 11% of consumers was like yep of those six things and we'll talk about this more in a further episode mm-hmm. but because um, this is on some very recent research that I was doing, uh, that only 11% of consumers are getting really what we teach you who are listening or watching. Yep. And so you and talk account, about- Another stat that kind of butts up against that is that like the average advisor has like an 85% or so client retention, retention rate. Retention, yeah. Meaning, and there's another stat that says most clients don't believe their advisor puts their interest before their own. Yeah. And so you take all these stats, you kind of put them in a picture and you're just like, so these are just all people waiting to hear about a different model. Yeah. And as yeah. soon as they do, they're going to run to it. Yeah. What you should hear with those numbers is opportunity, opportunity, right. opportunity. Another one um, was 21%. And I think about this because I don't know. Well, let me ask a pre-question to this. How many of your clients like were like, oh, yeah, I have my stuff at a bank, but I don't have an advisor? Like, is that an earlier advisor sort of situation? No, it happens all the time. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, let's, yeah. let's, so let's, let's assume you have prospects that they have their... Money out of bank. Yep. So um, I want to make sure I get this number right. That, uh, yeah, 21%. That's, this is it. 21% of banking client, banking customers said they got financial advice. Only 21%. So one out of five said wow. they got it. 50% of them opened a new account when they got advice. Nice. So what that means is <laughs> one out of, how much opportunity are gotcha. people missing? Because oh, when yeah. they do get advice- Half of them are like, oh, I'll go do more work. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, 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 I'll have, I'll do more business with you. Mm-hmm. So only twenty percent. So you think about what this, I heard like, when you said that was that they got sold something. Oh yeah, 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 totally. The, the advice totally. maybe but wasn't. My point is, yeah, yeah. But my point is that the consumer will take action. Yeah, that's good. If they're given advice, mm-hmm. I mean, the, my point is the bar is low, people. <laughs> the true. bar is low, right? Yes. Like. It's so that you've got eighty percent of banking customers that are not getting any advice. Yeah, right. I believe that. So, and even and, and of the twenty percent that do, half of them are like, "Sure, I'll go ahead and do something else." Mm-hmm. Like low mm. hanging fruit, my people. That's good. All right, we'll have more on that later. Um, so, last question: um, Where do you get your pricing from? Uh, their compliance, and I can't even explain this because it's so confusing, which is ironic for compliance. But um, that they're limited in how much they're able to charge. We are working with a company right now. Mm-hmm. We'll not name them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are running into an issue, which is a phenomenal issue, which is before they had a cap on their fees. Mm-hmm. I think a pretty reasonable cap. I don't know what you would say. Yeah, I'd be curious to know where it came from. It feels kind of arbitrary, but yeah. Watch me reach out to and grab a number, <laughs> number right? Big. For those on YouTube, I'm just grabbing a number out of the air, right? But they picked a, uh, they picked a number. I think we say the number. 15,000 was the limit that they had said, okay, that's, that's, that's sort of the cap on a, on a plan. Mm-hmm. But they have a problem, quote unquote problem, since they worked with us, is now they're having these advisors come and say, listen, I presented a plan and based upon what I showed them, I think we can charge 30000 Like, And I think we should. And so compliance is like a gulp yeah. and leadership is like, yep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So where do you get your pricing from and how can you overcome? And I, I love your approach to this. Yeah. How do you overcome the compliance issue Mm-hmm. Uh, or questions or concerns when it comes to pricing? And that'll be our last question. So the last two large firms I worked with, uh, this was on the very beginning of me charging fees when our fees were even smaller and but still kind of scary to us, is 
uh, fees reviewed at some of these larger organizations is kind of a loss leader. It's like kind of put this in there, get a little bit of money up front, but jump to the product still. And they really? started adopting and thinking about like, okay, maybe this can be a real vertical in a practice. I had to, this is my natural tendency is to be like, I'm going to push until I get the yes. Like just keep saying no, but someday you're going to say yes. Until I went to them and said, okay, how do we make this work? Like I went to them more as a, what was a, pushy a, a friendly. What was Pushy saying? Like, why aren't you doing this? And This, this is, is crazy. Get it approved. I'm calling their bosses' bosses and saying, hey, my production's big enough. Like I, I would just, yeah. and I would get yeses because I just forced things through. Okay. Um, and sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to be the squeaky wheel and to get somebody's attention. But generally speaking, especially as I've coached other advisors through this, as I say, go to compliance, show them what's being done, show them us, show them the course, you know, give them access to our course that we teach, yeah. like help boost their confidence. And like, this is possible because those people, and there are certain roles in companies, their goal is to just stiff arm everything. Because one, if they say yes, it creates new work. So they have to be really careful on what yeah. they say yes to. Yeah, it's not like, oh, you know, yes for you. Oh, yeah, there's 1,600 other advisors. And now that's a yes to. And that's, yep. I mean, I think they're, I love your attitude about this, Stan. Because it's, again, I think old Stan was probably push it through, get out of my way. Mm-hmm. Why are you being such a pain? Why are you being, you know, Debbie Downer, yeah. <laughs> cheap Charlie, whatever, you know, want to make equal opportunity for male and female. Uh, but like, why are, you, why are you stopping? This is just a no-brainer. Like, do it. But they're there to protect Mm-hmm. And and scale. You yeah. also have to scale this, which is why when we work at larger companies, where I was like, go go go, and they're like, hold on, slow oh, yeah. down. But you know, those who are getting there, they're they're starting to have the conversations, mm-hmm. and those fees are. I, I love your attitude about like just be patient with them and understand mm-hmm. that they they want to win too. Yeah, right? but be patient to a point. There's times where I've been patient, been patient. I look back and I was like, I was patient for like six months too long. Mm. I saw in the writing on the wall that they weren't taking action. It was affecting my business in a negative way. And so give them a chance. Companies are working on this. But, like, if something's going to take a year, as a business owner, you then have to step in for yourself, you know, and and have some courage to be like, hey, if I don't see this going, if they're not giving me any firm results in a period of time, I now have to make a call for me and my family. Well, your second year, I think, of fees, maybe third was, like, quarter million. And I'm thinking about, like, if you would have waited another year or, I mean, mm. it's just like, yeah. oh, that's, we're talking a six figure. Oh, well, wait. I mean, oh, the cost of inaction. Yeah. And they're, again, they're, they'll make some extra money off you, but it's not so much to get them to stop doing the other bigger projects in their mind, which is really putting out fires. Bigger, the bigger firm gets most of their time is just putting out fires and dealing with issues. They're usually not trying to create large new initiatives. Yeah, or yeah, like or it new, takes a new vertical five in the years. Business. I mean, there's yeah. some big companies out there that I've interacted with that like they might figure this out in like four to five years, and it's like okay, great, you'll get there. But like the the smaller, more nimble firms, it's like it's there for the taking. Like yeah. it, there's there's it's it's not scary. You may be scared at certain fees, so then just charge different fees. And so it, within legacy, we use a complexity matrix to where we know based on certain needs of the client and the service model and how yeah. many meetings they want. We check some boxes and it gives us a range. Just got an email last week about like how much they like that, by the way. I don't know if I forwarded it to you, but they're like, you know you're in this business when you get an email and the subject line is love the pricing matrixes (laughs) or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay. So So again, I think to all these questions, the the answer is yes. Like this is happening. Recognize what limiting beliefs are on your way. And if if you're stuck, just know like you just need to go get more information. You go get some coaching because it's not that any of this is not being done, you're actually probably already behind at this point. Mm, and so try to stop, stop any fears that are like, I'm not worth it, then just become worth it. Or I don't know what the process is, or my compliance is scared. Like all of that is just reasons to not take action. And at some point you just need to overcome that. Love it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, bud.